0: came out of the audience, onto the platform, and he said, uh, Dr. Ron, I have never heard anyone speak on this before. I've written two books about it. If you write the next book, I'll give you all my research. I am an Assyrian. Nora, I got chills. It, It felt like watching Lazarus come out of the grave. I couldn't believe it.
1: everyone, it's Nora. Welcome to episode 114 of the Assyrian Podcast. My guest today is Ron Susack, who is the author of the book The Assyrian Prophecy. I first heard about Ron a few months ago when I saw that several people on Facebook had shared the same video of an interview he'd done on the Christian Television Network channel, where he was discussing this book and how he'd come to write it. His book explores the history of the Assyrian people and their faith in Christ, the painful persecution that has led to, and the biblical prophecy in Isaiah chapter 19, verses 23 to 25, which talks about a union between Assyria, Egypt and Israel, and how they will be a blessing to the world. I wanted to interview Ron for a few reasons. There was this kindly-looking gentleman from Pennsylvania who was seemingly fascinated with our history and future. Certainly not someone you come across very often. Secondly, let's be honest, most of the non-Assyrian church rarely has anything positive to say when it comes to our nation, or they simply skim over Assyria altogether. So when I began listening to an American minister talking about our nation with such a passion, it definitely made me want to find out more. I will admit, though, I have, as many Assyrians do, a healthy scepticism when it comes to outside forces claiming to have our best interests at heart, as history has taught us over and over again with nothing but betrayals and persecution. Although of course the union described in Isaiah is religious in nature and not outwardly political, as we all know in real life, those lines unfortunately usually get blurred, nowhere more so than in the Middle East. I wanted to delve into the real-world application of such a union between three nations who have such a turbulent history. We also discussed the role of the Western world and why Assyrians have been pretty much abandoned by those who, one would assume, would be the first to support them. Support for this week's episode of the Assyrian Podcast is brought to you by Tony Kalagorakis and the injury lawyers of Illinois and New York. If you know anyone that has been in a serious accident, please reach out to Tony Caligaracus. Tony has been recognised as a Top 40 Lawyer and a rising star by Super Lawyers Publication and has obtained multiple, multi-million dollar awards. Tony can be reached at InjuryRights.com or 847-982-9516. And now, let's hear from Ron Susack. So, how did you first learn about Assyrians and Assyrian history, and what was that introduction?
0: Nora is not a thing that I sought. It uh, tended to seek me. Uh, It was uh, about 30 years ago that I was sitting in my little study in our old home, and I read that prophecy, and I would have kept reading, doing what all of my theological friends have done, and that is, you know, I know that's a prophecy, I don't know how that fits in, so let's keep going, we'll come back to that. And they never came back. And that's why there's, that's one of the reasons why there's a vast ignorance across the body of Christ around the world about this prophecy. We've kind of just walked by it, and I tend to think it's because God was shielding it for the right time. But be that as it may, uh, I was, as I read the prophecy, the thing that stopped me dead in my tracks was the word Assyrian. Uh, I I leaned back in my chair and facetiously said, God, did you make a mistake? Now, I was being funny because, obviously, I don't want to be struck dead. But I said, God, did you make a mistake? There are no Assyrians. They were destroyed in 612 BC. And that question never left my mind. I did not pursue it, uh, Nora. It kept coming back to me again and again and again. So finally, I began to do some thinking and reading, and then one day, I was to speak at a world convention for a certain denomination, and I told my wife I was going to speak on this, and so I did. And to my amazement, and at that point, I still did not know there were Assyrians. I thought, you know, it's a prophecy of God. If he has to bring them out of the dust of the ground, he'll do it, but this is of God. And um, so I spoke on it. And a man came out of the audience, onto the platform, and he said, uh, Dr. Ron, I have never heard anyone speak on this before. I've written two books about it. If you'll write the next book, I'll give you all my research. I am an Assyrian. Nora, I got chills. It it felt like watching Lazarus come out of the grave. I couldn't believe it. (laughs) So that was my first introduction. That was about 15, 20 years ago. Then I began to follow ANA news about uh, the Assyrians in the Middle East. And uh, then when we took out Saddam Hussein, I was really shocked to learn that there were somewhere around a million and a half Assyrian Christians living in northern Iraq. Right. I was amazed, and that's, that began my more serious studies. And then when ISIS attacked in 2014. Yep. I was livid because I now knew these people. I knew who they were and they are the people of the prophecy and they were in the bullseye of this attack. And I, I was praying furiously in my living room, God, I cannot sit here in my comfortable home and do nothing while my brothers and sisters are being slaughtered. What can I do? And that's when it came back to me uh, loud and clear, write the book. So I began to research more in depth, and I dove into the middle of the sea of Assyrian knowledge and discovered it is a deep sea. There's more written about Assyria than there is written about the Greek and Roman empires combined. Right. And I thought, what do I have to offer? I mean, it was very intimidating. But as I researched and began to do some early writing, it clarified itself, and it's simply this. This book is not another history book. There are... Scads of those you can Google and you'll dive into an ocean of information about the the Assyrians This book does give history to and it it tries to build an understanding And a heart for the Assyrian people, but it's a call to action. This book is a call to action I am more and more convinced every day that God's time has come and uh, He's going to raise up the Assyrian fame and he's going to restore them to the land to their Uh, natural sovereignty in Mesopotamia.
1: Could you clarify for our listeners that aren't aware what this prophecy is and how it's relevant to the Old and New Testament?
0: Oh, yes, absolutely. The prophecy is, is so simple that a child can understand it, that Assyria, Israel and Egypt, these three, first of all, there will be a highway running between Egypt and Assyria right through Israel, and that highway will have a name. It's the name, the Highway of Holiness. That highway is will be a literal highway, but as a literal highway with that name, it will be also a symbolic highway of how the Messiah is going to rule the world, and that is in holiness, in righteousness. And Assyria is on the no- northern end of that highway, Israel in the middle, and Egypt on the southern point of that highway. And these three... Are going to worship together now, that is critical to world peace you cannot have peace without worship you cannot worship without having peace and you cannot worship without being one heart one mind one spirit which is the foundation of peace and so it's critical we cannot have world peace until those three nations are leading the way in worshiping together. And secondly, those three nations will be a blessing to the entire world. Now, in my book called The Assyrian Prophecy, I do not fill in the blanks because God didn't tell us what that blessing is, but there are many preliminary blessings we can identify. So I think that the regathering of of, uh, Assyria from around the world and establishment uh, as a sovereign nation is critical even in preliminary blessing and preliminary peacemaking in the Middle East along with Israel and America.
1: What was it that made you want to write a book about this prophecy in particular? What was it that stood out for you?
0: I think that having this thing haunt me for many years until I finally dove in and and really researched and realized that many of our commentators skimmed over it like a pebble going off the surface of the water I kept digging and digging because I realized this is a piece of the end time puzzle that we have not been talking about. And my wife is a great singer and she's sung for many prophecy conferences where scholars speak, Friends of Israel conferences and so forth, and none of them ever addressed this subject. And yet we cannot see the coming of Christ until this is addressed. And so I just took this as a real mission from the Lord that uh, I needed to write about this because it is a critical, missing piece of the end-time puzzle for, for Christians around the world. What do
1: you say to those that would say, perhaps this isn't a literal definition, it's not a you know physical highway, that there are lots of things in the Bible that could be described as metaphors, how do we know that this prophecy specifically is to be taken literally?
0: Because it's stated as a fact. Anytime the Bible has a metaphor, it tells you this is a metaphor. When it's a parable, this is a parable, although a parable is a story with a literal meaning. The Bible is not full of guessing games, the Bible is ultimately absolute and literal, And this is not presented as a figurative story or a parable or a metabolic statement. It is a literal prophecy made clear and simple, and it will happen literally.
1: There might be those who say, this is something that is in the Old Testament, it's assigned to history, and would say that this kind of union must have already taken place. Is there any period or event in history that someone could point to that would support that?
0: There is nothing in history to suggest it has been fulfilled. Never has there been such a highway. Never has there been global peace. And this is going to be lasting peace. This is not a temporary rise and fall peace. So there's no exhibit in history whatsoever that even comes close to this being fulfilled. Now, that being said, Nora, (laughs) let me get theological for a moment because this I learned from the Assyrian patriarch. Uh, When he blessed me in this project And I'll never forget that wonderful day But he made a statement He wrote uh, in the foreword of my book And he made a statement That was confusing to me Because of my western theological training But in the eastern theology They really got closer to the scripture And here's, here's what he was saying When Jesus Christ said on the cross It is finished Every single prophecy was fulfilled That does not mean that they were manifested, but they were sealed, done. It will, it it is done in heaven, therefore it will manifest on earth. Yes, we've been 2,700 or so years since that prophecy was made. Jesus sealed it on the cross, it is finished. And Nora, you and I and the world, even the non-believing world, all I can say to them is watch and see. If you don't want to believe, watch and see. It's going to happen.
1: If we were to think about the real world applications of this prophecy, just its implications in the modern age, if it were to play out as global relations currently stand, what do you think it would look like? Do you think it will solely be through the church or would it include political leaders?
0: I think it's going to be both the church and the uh, political leaders. And I'm drawing that from the history of Israel. When they came out of Egypt, that was a great shake-up. I am hoping and praying, Nora, that this will be the Assyrian generation of faith and not isolated to the youth. I would love to see the adults have the faith to lead the way, to lead the young people. We're going to believe God and how God's going to to play that out I'm not sure but let me give you another scenario when we get to the political side there was a man named Cyrus who was the king of uh, Persia and Cyrus inherited a lot of Jewish slaves from Babylon and Cyrus was a man who went against the the tide of his time and even though nations conquered to control and enslave but Cyrus, Sent the Jews home with what is considered by some economists as the biggest cash gift in world history. He surrounded them with military protection. He gave them an escort home, and he funded the rebuilding of the temple and the walls of Jerusalem. Somewhere, once the Assyrians are really lined up in faith before God, I believe he's going to raise up a Cyrus, that person who is in a political position... Of strength to be able to say the one thing that Assyria needs, one thing only, only one thing, and I want every hearing uh, listener to really get this, the only thing Assyria needs is security. That's all. Uh, the Assyrian leaders I've talked to, to say, we don't need anybody to build a nation for us. We'll do that work. Just give us what we've, what we've not had for 2600 years or so, security. And I believe that God's gonna, uh, on, on the spiritual side, we need to prepare spiritually with genuine faith in God. And on the political side, I believe God's gonna raise up a Cyrus who's gonna make, open the door and make that possible. But uh, one more thing quickly. Rather, the reason why I'm hammering home the spiritual side is because if that, that is not in place, they could, the door could open, they would go home and fail. Because there are too many factions too many disagreements, too many arguments, too many power plays happening. And that all has to die away so that they know who they are, what they are, what their goal is and their purpose, and how they're going to do this thing. And when that is in place, I, I'm convinced personally that God will raise up the Iris.
1: You mentioned about security. After ISIS attacked, the Nineveh Plains Protection Unit was set up the Assyrian militia, which was formed at the end of 2014 to protect the Assyrian people in northern Iraq, is formally recognized by the government of Iraq. But obviously the span of authority that they have is limited, and there's still ongoing persecution of Assyrians, you know, in all its forms. So it's never a settled situation. I'm not sure if you're aware of that militia?
0: Very much so, and I agree with you, it is very difficult.
1: Have you had any responses from any religious or political leaders in Israel or Egypt, either to your book or to the prophecy? We're not quite to that point yet. There are people who are working to get the book
0: into the Oval Office. There are leaders in D.C. who do have the book in hand. Understand that we're just fresh out of the gate. The book only hit the airwaves oh four to six weeks ago, which has put us in a... Wonderful tailspin of activity. We're thrilled about it. But we are working in that direction. Uh, Number one, we're on the level of building awareness. We want to build awareness through the two, two and a half billion Christians around the world, most of whom who do not even know this is going on and do not even know the reality of the Assyrians today. So we're working on building awareness. That's what the book is about. That's what these interviews are for. Eventually, that's what the public meetings will be for. Now, there are some evidences that God is raising up this awareness around the world. For example, I had a Jewish, rabbinically trained Jewish fellow in Israel call me, saying that he is an Assyrian Jew. He's not a Christian, but he's an Assyrian Jew. And uh, he is wanting to rebuild the connections between the Assyrians and the Jews and asked if I would help him establish an Assyrian embassy in Jerusalem. Well, I told him we're not to that point yet, but I'm only bringing that up to say that there are some very interesting conversations happening at different parts of the world that are intriguing to me.
1: That's interesting that you've had that response. Has there been any response from Christians in the West? Not maybe specifically about your book. You said it's been released very recently, but any interest in this prophecy? A lot of the time, Middle Eastern Christians are forgotten about by the rest of the Christian world. They're not really talked about at all, They're alone to do with the prophecy.
0: Beyond the Assyrian world is one of, um, let's say, shocked hesitation. The shock is, Ron, where has this been? We have never thought about this. How did we miss this? Well, as you know, anytime you're trying to introduce a new idea, it takes about eight stages, and so they are not putting up a resistance or, or arguing back or trying to disprove it. They're trying to assimilate it, and as they do, I am having major Christian leaders call and say, "What can I do? How can I help?" It's like bringing a huge plane down the runway. You got to you got to have a lot of runway to get air under the wings and get that thing in the sky, but I see it happening.
1: Israel and Egypt are the other two-thirds of this prophecy. All three have a pretty sour biblical relationship. Why would they be interested in helping to bring about this prophecy?
0: First of all, the Assyrians, the Israelites, and the Egyptians, the Coptic Christians, All three believe that Isaiah was the prophet of God. So there's common ground. So all three have got to look at that prophecy with respect and how does this play out? And I'm eager to begin to enlarge that conversation between the three nations. Today, Assyria, in my opinion, is in the position of being a spiritual leader of the triumphant, of the three nations. Why so? Because they converted to Jesus Christ shortly after the resurrection. They took his commission about reaching the world seriously. They became the greatest voice of the gospel in the early centuries. And they have suffered the deepest of any people on earth for the sake of Christ. They've suffered more loss than any people group or nation in existence. Israel is certainly one warming with new respect toward Jesus Christ, even though she's not ready to accept him as her Messiah. Yet to discover that the Christians are not against them, that millions are coming to their land and helping build their economy and praying for them and standing with them and promoting them. There are warm communications taking place and many Israelites are becoming believers that Jesus is the Messiah in Egypt. Egypt was once a Christianized nation with 90% Christian and 10% non-Christian, and Islam came with a sword and reversed that. Today it's 90% Islam and 10% Christian. That will change, and I'm not going to go too far with that because I'm still doing study and research and questioning how that may take place. I'll give you one hint There is a chance that we do know that Ezekiel spoke of a 40-year diaspora. I have no evidence of history that that has ever happened. Therefore, it may be that God is going to scatter Egypt and bring her back to the faith of Jesus Christ and restore her as a Christian nation.
1: Have you had the chance to travel to the Middle East to see firsthand what's going on? Do you have any connection with anyone there?
0: I have been to Israel 15 times, one time on a 30-day personal study tour, and to Egypt once, and I'm eagerly, eagerly dying to go to Iraq.
1: A lot of Assyrians will have concerns about foreign input in national relations, or individuals outside the community who are very vocal about their interest in helping our future as a nation, You've detailed in your book the many times Assyrians have been betrayed by those who've purported to be allies. The Bible itself also says that we should be as innocent as doves, but as wise as snakes. What would you say to those Assyrians who are sceptical about this prophecy going forward, or any kind of substantial outside involvement?
0: I would say to them what some significant Assyrian leaders have said to me, one just this morning, a man who is unbelievably knowledgeable and running for a very high office in, the, in America right now, and that is this, you have a right to be skeptical, watch out, because we have already experienced in the sudden skyrocketing of this project that we're involved in, there are always wrong people who wanna grab the hotel and go for the ride and, uh, and they don't have the best of motives. The early disciples had a man named Simeon. They detected his ill motive immediately and to openly. So yes, it is wise to be cautious and careful because there are those who will try to infiltrate and destroy the plan of God. That's been going on for 6,000 years. But on the other hand, when it becomes clear that God has put his hand on some people and they are sent of him, and they don't have a personal agenda, run with it because they are not the key. God working through them is the key.
1: Day-to-day Christians in the Middle East, it can sometimes be a challenge for them just to survive in what's usually a hostile environment. And they're really having to focus on the present. So they just don't have the capacity to think about something like this. Also the fact that there historically hasn't been any significant Positive connection with these two other nations, it will be hard to focus on this prophecy. It could seem like something so intangible and far off for them, even for those in the diaspora.
0: It certainly would, and that's why the Israelites who were in the mud pits of Egypt had no idea that God was raising up a man named Moses and this man was going to come in without firing a bullet, he was going to get them out of the mud pits. He had tried that 40 years earlier and failed because he tried it in human strength. Now he came in God's strength and it happened. I think that this is something that will have to happen around them because they do have their nose to the grindstone in the worst way, scratch the ground, not get killed. I mean, they've got a lot in their mind. And I'm not casting myself as a Moses, so I don't want anyone to misinterpret what I'm saying, But. I can't tell you how strongly and deeply I am in prayer and have a team around me praying and I think it's gonna grow. We need intercessors around the world because this has gotta happen. God said it's going to happen and these dear people who are still there at the risk of their lives, at great suffering and hardship and setback and the world doesn't even know this is going on because if it's not in the news, we think it doesn't matter and yet it does matter I I am hoping and praying that in my lifetime, these gears will begin to turn and these dear people who have stayed true to the Lord in all of this terrible thing that has happened will begin to see the deliverance rising up around them.
1: The Christians in the Middle East, as I said before, are often ignored by the mainstream media, by politicians and even the church in the Western world, while their situation just becomes more and more dire. Why do you think people are so hesitant to discuss that? What do you think is the reason why there isn't a lot of support for Christians in the Middle East from Western countries?
0: There are a couple of reasons. Great question, Nora. Number one, they don't look like us. And so we assume, A, they may say they're Christian, but they don't dress like we dress, and they worship differently, so they're not really Christian. That is, in, the, in fact, a close Syrian friend of mine just sat down with an evangelical pastor and the pastor asked him if he's a Christian and he gave his eastern answer, which is as good as any answer, and the evangelical pastor of a big church said, well, you're not a Christian. You don't look like us. You're not using our words. You're not saying it in our lingo and so forth. So that's one reason. Another reason, and probably a bigger reason, is that the Assyrians have been referred to on the news when ISIS attacked as minorities. Well, a minority is a faceless, nameless, useless throwaway. So by not giving them a name, in other words, we finally, through media and other means, gave the Jews a face and a name. The Assyrians that have a gigantic history have been stripped of their face and name and thus stripped of their dignity. And so when Christians in America, for example, were watching their news in 2014 and they learned that the minorities died today or were chased to the hills or this or that happened. It didn't connect. It didn't mean anything because minority is a meaningless name. That's why in building awareness, one of my goals is to break through that by the power of God and give the Assyrians a face to be recognized, a voice to be heard, and a name to be honored. And that's going to come by the Spirit of God, and it's necessary. And finally, once America and Canada and different Western nations get a handle on this, you're going to see a groundswell shift in their favor.
1: The U.S. hasn't officially acknowledged the Assyrian genocide, along with the Armenian and Greek genocides, and they're very hesitant to do so. Israel is an ally of the Kurds. Why do you think there hasn't been that support from the US or Israel concerning the Assyrians in the Middle East? Because it would seem on paper that they would be natural allies, really. Why do you think that hasn't happened?
0: Two reasons. Number one, one word answer, ignorance, ignorance, ignorance. ignorance. Intelligence bureaus, that's a beautiful name, it sounds like they know everything. They've made more mistakes than you can imagine, because they don't know everything. So ignorance is a big factor. Number two. Nora, this is the ingredient that I fear most people have never taken too seriously about this world. We are in a spiritual war with powers warring in the heavenly realms. And if we don't understand that war and know how to fight it, we will lose and we will not know why we lost. We will only see it on a human level and a circumstantial level. But very clearly, the Bible could be more clear that we, as, as Paul said in Ephesians, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not an issue between nations, but by we're wrestling against principalities and powers in the heavenly realms. Now, that's a structure of authority. Now, they're a broken authority. Jesus defeated that, that authority on the cross. He made an open shame of them. But they are still fighting, even though they don't hold the authority they did before Jesus redeemed us. And in fact, the revelation talks about toward the end, the dragon will fight all the more fiercely. That is exactly what we're seeing. And so in order to see this prophecy come to fruition, part of what I'm hoping to awaken in this book is those people who understand intercession. Intercession is a very deep level of prayer. Is not just making requests of God, like we all do. It goes a step beyond spiritual warfare, praying, and it becomes intercession, whereby you are standing in the gap and willing before God to put your life on the line to see God's will accomplished on earth as it's already accomplished in heaven. We need that team, Nora, or this will be a bunch of words, and it'll be another brutal disappointment to the Assyrians when another tragic delay occurs.
1: Currently, Assyria has no borders. Christians are minorities in Israel and Egypt. What's the next step? For right now, what can we say, okay, this is a step that we need to take in order to further this prophecy? Anything practical that people should be doing, whether it's Assyrians in the Middle East or in the Diaspora or the Christian community as a whole, what do you see being the next step?
0: Practical steps. This is going to sound self serving, but it's not. I'm serious about this. Buy a hundred copies of the book and give it to people. Begin study groups. Educate the church. We've got to awaken the church, not just with inspiration, but education, so that they understand their world history better and how it ties into them. It affects the entire world. And uh, so, education, awareness, that's huge. That doesn't have to take 10 years. We can do that in a year or two if we just explode and already the Assyrians are doing that. But we need the church at large to really get a handle on this thing. And I am preparing to write more follow-up books that continue to the educational process. We now have a knowledgeable body of Christ. You know, out of two and a half billion or more Christians on this earth, Can we not find five or 10 million? That's a very small percentage. But five or 10 million can make a well of a difference. Particularly if among them we find those people who intercede. Now that sounds passive. It is not passive. Because it is out of that education and awareness that God is going to raise up that great Cyrus who's going to bring in the practical the pragmatic way to make this happen and I already have my message ready for the Cyrus <laughs> if God gives me the privilege of meeting with him
1: Throughout the time that you've been writing the book I think you said it's been you've been writing it over 20 years or the research been happening over over 20 years what are the experiences that you've had along the way anything of note or Something that gave you encouragement to keep working on it because that's quite a long time to work on a project.
0: At first, I can't tell you how deep the sensation was at several points to just lay it down and forget it. And one was when I tried to penetrate the Assyrian world to get to know Assyrians and found there was a wall there. They would not return phone calls. They were polite when I did talk to them, but they never did anything. It's like we didn't even have the conversation. And I finally was able to get a man on the phone named Sabri Ackman, who um, heads the CIFO Center worldwide, and I said to him, I said, uh, Mr. Ackman, you don't know me at all, but I'm going to ask you one favor before we go further. He said, what's that? Promise me that you won't, will not hang up until I tell you my story. <laughs> he said, okay. And an hour and a half later, he said, well, Ron, you're, you're right. You, you have been stonewalled not because of you but because we've been betrayed so many times we don't know who to trust but I want you to know that I believe your story I trust you I'm going to give you a thousand and one percent he set up a meeting my first meeting with Assyrian leaders in California and I flew there and you talk about spiritual warfare on my way to the airport I became extremely ill and I actually had to sit down at the airport because I thought I was going to pass out I thought, you know what, I am gonna get there no matter what. The moment I passed through the door and got on the plane, that lifted. This thing of spiritual warfare is very real. So let's get that in our thinking and stop acting like it's hocus pocus. No, it's a real battle. Long story short, I came to meet men who have just injected me with adrenaline. Father George Petrasho, I had quoted him in the book, he said, it's, it, God said it's going to happen. He's sovereign. It's going to happen. When we have the faith, it will happen. Father Athanasius Tuma was very strong in saying, we don't need anybody to build the nation for us. He said, I don't brag, but I'll tell you, we'll have it built in 10 years if we get the protection. And the doors have opened to Assyrian media. That's just amazing. And so these are things that began to lift me and when finally we connected and they gave me that trust and I am doing everything I can not to betray that in the slightest because I'm here for real. I have nothing personally to be gained in this because I'm not a Assyrian. Sadly, I, I wish I were. I'll be standing on the outside of the wall cheering you people on. <laughs> My point is that these people have really given me great, great encouragement. Just this morning had an hour and a half conversation with this leader that I told you about. First time we've been able to connect and very affirming and very free with information. So these are things that have really caught air under my wings and have lifted me.
1: You mentioned about the Assyrian church leaders that you've spoken to. There's obviously a lot of division with the different factions and denominations in the Assyrian community, people that don't call themselves Assyrian or the different names that are used. What would you say to those people that are sort of quite hesitant to take on the Assyrian name? Would you tell them that this prophecy is also for them? How do you see that going forward if there's to be unity among the Assyrian people?
0: You cannot succeed without oneness. Jesus was clear about that. A house divided cannot stand. I am making you one with my Father as I am one with the Father. And it is by oneness of heart and mind and spirit that God moves in mighty ways. So it's imperative that Assyria be restored into the oneness and wholeness of a nation with a specific assignment from God. They're not being raised up to be what they were. They're being raised up to be what they are. They were a mighty empire. They are now kingdom builders, the kingdom of God builders. They are targeted for a specific role in leading the world. So it's, it's imperative that people are going to have to rethink, have we made commitments that are dividing us? Have I taken a different name for security reasons? What is going on here? And I think they're going to have to really think through, am I ready, in obedience to God, not a call by Ron Susak, but in obedience to God, I belong to that nation, I need to come back to the truth that God wants to say to the world through that nation, and declare myself a part of that nation. And as I say in the book, I'm asking every religious group that has been party to dividing the Assyrians by taking them into their fold and changing their name and so forth. Release them, release them, release them before you get into trouble with God. very important that we understand God did not add any words to Assyrian. He said the Assyrians and the Israelis and the Egyptians will be worshiping and be a blessing to the world. So it's critical. It's not negotiable. This is what God said, and if we are going to do it God's way, we must do that when people begin to realize that this is God setting up the end-time world structure, come on gang, get with it, wake up. I think that many are going to be ready to shed commitments and come back to serve God in this unbelievable privilege of being associated with Israel and Egypt in order to not only worship together, but be an impactful blessing to the entire world. My word, there are no other nations on earth named in such a privilege.
1: Have you had a lot of communication with the other factions or denominations? Have you had the chance to sit down and discuss with them?
0: Not yet. However, I'm hoping that this book will open those doors because I'm aware that there's a lot that needs to be done. And my background moved in a number of different directions which I did not understand at the time, for example, for a number of years. We built into our ministry a mediation division because of the many churches that were dealing with crisis and huge churches collapsing. And my concern as an evangelist was that in every church conflict, the first casualty is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we started this division and it became quite professional. What we were doing would stand up in a court of law. We had a man on our staff who had an earned doctorate in mediation. And I kept wondering, this is not my ultimate calling. Why am I doing this? Even though I was very rewarded in seeing churches healed and begin to build again. But I'm saying that background for this reason. There are a number of areas where God led me into deep studies and work, such as spiritual warfare, intercessory prayer, church mediation, as well as evangelistic crusades. And all of that now gives us a ton of tools to bring in service to the rebuilding of Assyria. And that doesn't mean that I'm the expert in all of those things. It simply means that I can be a valued contributor working with the people who will handle those areas. So uh, I'm hoping as this thing grows and as the book expands, that people in these other groups, whether they are the heads of the groups or whether they are Assyrians in the groups, that with a humble spirit, they will meet me. I will gladly meet them with a humble spirit to take a look at here's what the word of God says. What should we do?
1: Are there any Assyrians working with you?
0: I'm now putting together, and I've already started to put together a group of Assyrian leaders, and I'm putting myself under their authority. Now, that doesn't mean they make the decisions for me. They mean they advise me from an Assyrian's perspective. Now, why is this important? When I met with the Patriarch about a year and a half ago, I said to him, I understand authority. I've done a lot of studies in authority, what it is biblically. And I know that if you step one step beyond God-given authority, you're in trouble. And I said, I'm not here because I think I'm a hero to the Assyrian people. I'm here as your son and your servant. And I want to be under your authority. And I can't go forward with this project unless you bless it. And he graciously did with a tear in his eye. He really did.
1: You said that right now you're under Assyrian advisory. Can I ask who those leaders are?
0: Well I'm not real sure that all of them were the with their names on the air except that I think that Father George Rasho, the priest of the largest Assyrian church in LA, went mind, as well as Father Athanasius Tuma. And now there's a man that I just had a long phone call with this morning that I think I'm getting comfortable inviting him on because he is profoundly knowledgeable and experienced and he understands the importance of the spiritual level as well as the human level of how to make this happen.
1: Is it your plan to approach any specific people, any leadership, talking at churches or even getting Israel and Egypt involved? How do you see that playing out?
0: You know, you're dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) You have brought me right to the edge of the thing that I'm wondering if I should say or not. But I will. One of the long-term goals that I have deep in my heart would be to get to a place in global awareness of what this is all about. The church is praying and we have the resources to pull the major Christian leaders from Assyria, Israel, and Egypt together for the first summit in the history of the world for 2,700 years since the prophecy was made to say to them all three nations believe in Isaiah and in the prophecy. What all does this mean and how can we even begin this process now?
1: If our listeners want to get hold of your book, where's the best place for them to go?
0: They can try Amazon or the best place is the Assyrianproject.org and uh, they'll find us and we'll do everything we can to get the books there as as quickly as we can.
1: If there's one thing that you could tell people that are listening, whether they're Assyrian, non-Assyrian, what's the last thing you want people to walk away and know?
0: Jesus is coming soon. Get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready personally, get ready in your service to Christ, wherever you are, get ready on a national basis. God showed us what the national scene will look like under his son. Let's build into that one person. Well, many people have said, well, Ron, isn't the prophecy for the millennial reign of Christ? Yes, it is. But Noah did not begin building the ark the eve before the flood. And there's no reason on earth why we should not begin to move toward this prophecy for those three nations. And it is when the Messiah arrives that indeed, then you'll see the final fulfillment. But we have every reason and right and responsibility to begin to move the three nations toward that direction. So, again, my closing words. Jesus is coming. That has been foreordained and prophesied repeatedly. He is coming. We see the changing of the seasons, everything he said the world would look like on the eve of his coming. We're there. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready.
1: Thank you, Ron, for coming on the Assyrian podcast, and we look forward to seeing what happens next.
0: Thank you. Bless you.
1: for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Go ahead and let your friends and family know about the Assyrian podcast if you did. We appreciate your support. Join us again next week for the next installment of the Assyrian podcast.